Hey everyone, welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast, where our aim is to help you live and love like Jesus. I'm Lauren Hlaud, one of the pastors of Prince of Peace. We're glad that you're here and we hope you enjoy. If you've been following along with us in worship the last few weeks, you know that we've been exploring the first few chapters in the book of Acts and what it teaches us about the nature of the church. We see on Pentecost that the Holy Spirit fills the disciples and quickly thereafter, they get busy doing two really important things. First, they proclaim the story of Jesus. They live and embody this witness to the resurrection of Christ. Peter gets up and he preaches to a crowd of thousands. Right after that, they get busy restoring a broken world. Peter heals a crippled man. There's an energy to their ministry. There's an excitement. There's a palpable feeling that God was up to something big. But on the heels of all of this excitement, in the midst of all of this frenzy, comes adversity. While Peter and John are standing before a crowd of thousands of people, the powers of his day, the religious leaders and authority, they come and arrest Peter and John and they throw them into jail. Right in the midst of the excitement comes adversity. Now Peter and John would be let go, they'd be set free because the the powers of their time were struggling. What do we do here? Do Do we hold them in prison? They were afraid of the crowd and how the crowd might rise up because the crowd loved the ministry of the disciples. One thing is certain. We see within the first four chapters in the book of Acts that the church will face adversity. The church will be no stranger to trials. In fact, we hear all about beatings, riots, imprisonments. We know that James, the disciple James, would end up beheaded. Peter, we're told, throughout history would be crucified like Christ. The Apostle Paul, a champion of the faith who brought the good news of Jesus all across the Mediterranean world, he would be executed. The church would know adversity. I think that there's this dangerous myth that has been circulating around the Christian world in our society for quite a long time. It's this idea that the ministry of the church should be pleasant. It should be peaceful. It should be saccharine sweet. You know, when you think about it, comfort has been king for the church in America for a very long time. Now, don't hear me wrong. I I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ brings comfort to our lives in a way that nothing else can. I believe that the ministry of the church should be embodied by God's love, which fills every heart. But this love of God that is to fill the church, it's a passionate love. It's It's a love that is oriented towards healing what is broken, towards mending what is fractured, towards righting what has been wronged in our world and in society. 
You see, Jesus, the one whom we worship, the one whom we gather to praise and give thanks to, that Lord was crucified. He was killed because of his ministry. And so if Jesus faced adversity, if Jesus faced persecution and trials, then then I think we can expect that the ministry of the church, well, it will also be marked by adversity, by pain, by suffering. But not suffering for suffering's sake, suffering for the sake of the world. I think this is what Jesus meant when he said, pick up your cross and follow me. The path of discipleship is not always about comfort or peace or tranquility. The ministry of Jesus is about a road less traveled. The ministry of Jesus has always been about being willing to give of yourself for the sake of another, to lose your life so that you might find it. If the ministry of Jesus faced adversity, then we can guarantee our ministry will also know challenge. It will also know struggle. I'm sitting on a bench dedicated to a courageous man of faith whose life faced tremendous adversity. James Bradley, at the age of three, was kidnapped in Africa, brought on an illegal slave ship across the ocean to America where he was sold into slavery in South Carolina. He was bought by a Kentucky slave owner who brought him here to Kentucky. A short while later, they moved to Arkansas where James would spend most of his adult life working tireless hours as a slave. James's story, though, is one of perseverance, of one rising up through adversity on the passageway to freedom. James wrote extensively about his life as a slave later in life. He wrote about how when his master became ill and it was the mistress of the house who was now in charge, that James was able to work long, excruciating hours during the day. He would sleep three or four hours in the evening and then wake up in the middle of the night in order to start his own enterprise. He began by making horse collars out of corn husks. He would sell them for 50 cents a piece. Working this way for many years, James was able to save up a little bit of money enough so that he could buy two years worth of time by hiring out his slave position so that he could dedicate his life to his own enterprise, working to save enough money to one day buy his freedom. During this period of time, James was able to save around $350, enough to buy another 18 months worth of time to hire out his position in order for him to earn more income. He ended up moving to Texas for a short while, where he got into tobacco cropping and farming. He also bought some pigs. He was an entrepreneur, navigating this tumultuous time in the early 1820s into the 1830s. At the end of that period of time, he had saved $750 In today's currency, it would be around $19,000. And with that money, he purchased his freedom. 
when he became a free man because he bought his way out of this brutal systemic system, he came here, right here, to this very spot. And he looked over across this river and he made the passageway to Cincinnati, a free state of Ohio. When James crossed the river, one of the very first things he did is he found his way to the campus of Lane Seminary, a Presbyterian seminary that used to be active here in Cincinnati. It's since been closed since the 1950s. James has written extensively about his journey to Lane Seminary. He's written extensively about the desire to learn how to read and how to write. James taught himself to read and write, even though it was illegal for him to do so at the time. But when he arrived at Lane Seminary, he didn't know if he would be accepted or not. And to his surprise, the Christian community there at Lane welcomed him in with open arms. He wrote about his experience, saying, even though I wasn't an educated man, even though my skin was not the same color as every other student in the seminary, they welcomed me as a brother because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. His story there at the seminary would end up being a part of very, would play a very important part in the eventual abolition of slavery in this country. For in 1834, James Bradley was the only former slave to participate in the Lane Seminary debates. It was a heated issue at the time leading up. Now this was 20 to 30 years before the abolition of slavery would take place in our country. But there were abolitionists at work who wanted to free the slaves. And there were debates at the time on what to do if you were to free the slaves. There were many that supported recolonization. They wanted to send all of the former slaves back to Africa and start new colonies of slaves for they, they feared because of their prejudice that, that freed African-American people could not live in harmony with the white culture. And James participated in the debate. They lasted for many, many hours. We know that James Bradley had a two-hour spot to speak in front of all of those present, and that it was his testimony, his use of humor, his use of sharp intellect, where he, he, he tore apart all of the arguments of the anti-abolitionists and the arguments of those who supported recolonization. At the end of that, it paved the way, many believe, for Frederick Douglass, who nine years later would stand up and give his famous speeches. Shortly thereafter at Lane Seminary, there were so many students who wanted to get involved in the work of emancipation. They wanted to get involved in the work of the abolition movement. James was elected as the manager of the student society that was working actively to help people escape slavery in Kentucky and cross over this river, the same river that James crossed in order to achieve their freedom. But that was too much for the seminary. It was too much for the seminary that with open arms seemed to welcome James as a student who loved to have James participate in the debate. 
But now that students were actively putting their faith into action, they didn't want anything to do with it. So James and a group of other students would become known as the Lane Rebels. They would rebel against this systemic injustice of Lane Seminary. But thankfully, some educators and influential members of Oberlin College up in northern Ohio would catch wind of what was going on at Lane Seminary. And so they invited James and his fellow students to come up to Oberlin to be a part of the university. But there was one issue. Oberlin College did not yet have a policy that would admit former slaves or African Americans into the university. James Bradley and his brave students said they would come to Oberlin on one condition. The university had to formally adopt a policy that would be open to people of all races. Oberlin College was in the national spotlight now. This was in the mid-1830s, again, well before the Civil War and well before the abolition of slavery. Oberlin College voted five to four to welcome their student body up to students like James. And within a few years' time, it's reported that Oberlin College and the surrounding community, it would be about 35% black. The whole community changed. The whole culture changed. Oberlin College would become a safe haven for the Underground Railroad. It was students like James and his contemporaries that brought about that change. But the fight for freedom and the fight for justice and the fight for equality, it was one that faced constant challenge and pushback and adversity. The passageway to freedom has never been an easy road for those who are marginalized or those who suffer. But we give thanks to God for the witness of James Bradley, who went on to inspire so many others, Frederick Douglass, Harriet Beecher Stowe. I want to end my sermon today with something that James Bradley wrote. James Bradley wrote this letter to another friend who was active in the work of abolition. He said, May God preserve you and strengthen you in this holy cause. Until the walls of prejudice are broken down, the chains burst into pieces, and men of every color meet at the feet of Jesus, speaking kind words and looking upon each other in love, willing to live on earth as they hope to live in heaven. The ministry of Jesus knew adversity. The ministry of Jesus was about healing a broken and fractured world. Jesus lived a missional life. He wasn't in the business of playing church, of doing things to just be nice. James Bradley and his life was a legacy of living with a mission and a purpose. Freedom, not only for himself, but freedom for all. My prayer for us as a faith community and for all of those of good faith is that we would not run away from adversity, but that we would cling to our faith in the crucified and risen Lord. That we would cling to that faith 
as we go headlong into the adversity that is to come. May you be strengthened by God's love. May you be strengthened by the witness of James Bradley. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.